0: Welcome to the Improve the News podcast for Tuesday, February 7th, 2023, where we separate the spin from the facts. I'm Melissa Topshire.
1: And I'm Eric Steiner with a look at today's top stories. A deadly earthquake kills thousands in southern Turkey and northern Syria.
0: China accuses the U.S. of indiscriminate use of force after it downed an alleged spy balloon.
1: The trial of 16 Hong Kong democracy activists begins.
0: Kyiv prepares for renewed Russian attacks.
1: Former Pakistan President Pervez Musharraf dies.
0: Dell announces its plan to slash over 6,000 jobs.
1: Moscow and Tehran are reportedly advancing plans for a drone facility.
0: Protests break out across India as Adani loses $110 billion.
1: Kamala Harris pledges $4.2 billion in Central America investments.
0: And the Koch Network says it won't back Donald Trump in 2024.
1: In our top story, deadly earthquakes kill thousands in southern Turkey and northern Syria. Here are the facts as agreed upon by CNN, Guardian, Al Jazeera, BBC News and CBS. One of the largest earthquakes to hit the region in nearly a century, which measured magnitude 7.8 on the Richter scale, has killed thousands of people, destroyed infrastructure, and leveled thousands of buildings after striking early Monday morning in southern Turkey and northern Syria. A second earthquake aftershock, registering a magnitude of 7.7 on the Richter scale, in the same location near Gaziantep, was also reported Monday afternoon, less than 12 hours after the initial quake. With the numbers in flux and rising, total fatalities were estimated at 3,500 as of Monday night local time. Rescuers were desperately searching through the rubble to find survivors in both nations. The initial earthquake is believed to be the strongest to strike Turkey since 1939. The areas of Syria most affected by the earthquakes are regions still mired by the country's ongoing civil war, in which there is a massive population of internally displaced Syrians, living in refugee camps along the Turkish border. Countries around the world have pledged to support the disaster with international assistance. The World Health Organization warned of up to an eight-fold increase in casualty numbers based on other historical earthquake catastrophes. In addition to the earthquake, which was felt in neighboring countries such as Lebanon, Egypt, Cyprus, and even in Denmark, a snowstorm has aggravated the situation by covering major roads and making three major airports in the area inoperable.
0: Thank you, Eric, for the facts on that first story. And on this show, we separate the facts from the narrative spin. We'll start a round of spins with Narrative A from CNBC. This is the worst crisis to hit southern Turkey and northern Syria since the onset of the Syrian civil war in 2011. Besides the fact that this region is inundated with refugees, The earthquake comes in the middle of winter, which is only compounding the suffering of those who are already suffering. The global community must step up quickly to help the people of Turkey and Syria.
1: Narrative B is being provided by Al Jazeera. Sadly, many impacts of this earthquake could have been lessened if only Turkish authorities had dealt seriously with supervising urban development in quake-prone areas enforcing the mandatory earthquake-resistant design codes to buildings its legislation approved in 2000. There are two major fault lines along the Anatolian Plate, and earthquake mitigation is vital given the likelihood of catastrophic tremors.
0: And we have our first nerd narrative on this story from the folks at Metaculus, saying there's a 50% chance that at least 35,200 will die as a result of the most deadly earthquake from 2020 to 29.
1: Melissa, I live in an area that's pretty prone to earthquakes. I mean, they're pretty frequent, but I've never been in one that comes even close to a 7.8 on the Richter. They're only around three or four at the most here and it just kind of shakes the house. Oh, yeah,
0: that is really huge. And, And, you know, the narratives really struck me because with that second narrative, I kind of saw the same thing looking through pictures today where there were buildings completely and utterly rubble uh, and standing next to them are are buildings unaffected. So it does seem like there were some unfortunate buildings that weren't up to code.
1: Want to help us improve the news? Go to improvethenews.org slash pod and take our quick survey and tell us what you think. And now back to the news.
0: Turning our heads to the balloon downing, China accuses the U.S. of indiscriminate use of force. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Time, Washington Post, Reuters, Politico, NPR Online News, and DW.com. Xi Feng, China's vice foreign minister on Monday, accused the U.S. government of indiscriminate use of force and damaging efforts to improve Sino-American relations after the U.S. shot down an alleged Chinese surveillance balloon. This comes as on Sunday, the Chinese Foreign Ministry accused the U.S. of clear overreaction and violating international norms, with the Chinese Defense Ministry stating that Beijing reserves the right to use necessary means to address future similar incidents. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken previously postponed his trip to China over the balloon. The statement followed the shooting down of the balloon by U.S. military on Saturday off the coast of South Carolina. The object reportedly first entered U.S. airspace in Alaska on January 28, and then passed through Canadian airspace before returning to the U.S. on January 31st. In addition, the White House on Sunday rejected Republican accusations that President Biden acted too late and indecisively, saying he waited to order the balloons shoot-down until Saturday to avoid endangering safety from falling debris. Beijing maintains that the balloon was for meteorological research and accidentally crossed into U.S. airspace, while the Pentagon claims that it was for surveillance. Earlier, Washington had stated that the object posed no threat to U.S. national security and decided against shooting it down. The U.S. military is working on recovering the balloon's debris in an 11-kilometer field off the South Carolina coast. Beijing on Monday also claimed a second balloon spotted over Latin America was an unmanned airship used for civilian purposes.
1: Melissa, thank you for the facts of that story. We begin with an anti-China narrative coming from Washington Post. The U.S. was sending Blinken to China in hopes of improving relations between the two countries. China spoiled this plan by sending this spy balloon into U.S. airspace and leaving Biden with no choice but to shoot it down and keep Blinken stateside. Obviously, there will always be behind-the-scenes competition between the two nations, but China can't publicly humiliate the U.S. and expect detente.
0: And here's a pro-China narrative from the Global Times. The U.S. is incompetent in dealing with crises because of the constant fighting between its political parties. The PRC's civilian airship wasn't a threat, yet Biden shot it down to look tough in the face of Republican criticisms. Now he continues to be attacked by his political foes, but also has put U.S. China relations at risk with his overreaction. China can't trust the U.S. as a strategic partner because of its political dysfunction.
1: And we have a cynical narrative for this story. It's coming from Zero Hedge. This whole story is an overreaction by the media. Whether you believe the balloon was a spying tool for China or it was just an off course weather balloon, it certainly didn't deserve the attention it received. Either the networks decided they needed to gin up ratings with scare tactics and or government representatives on both sides were feeding the frenzy to squash a U.S.-China detente on purpose. But this balloon was nothing to freak out about.
0: And there's a nerd narrative on this story saying there's a 10% chance there will be active warfare between the U.S. and China before 2027. That's according to the Metaculous Prediction Community. Red balloon. You know, in my head, it's red. In my head, it's a red balloon just because it seems kind of delightful. It's not a delightful balloon, but.
1: Coming from China. It should have been red. Oh, yeah.
0: Maybe that affected it.
1: The trial of Hong Kong activists is set to begin. And here are the facts as agreed upon by Reuters, Al Jazeera, Associated Press and CNN. The highly anticipated trial of 16 Hong Kong democracy activists began on Monday. The 16 defendants are among 47 who pleaded not guilty to charges of conspiring to commit subversion under Chinese national security law. The trial comes three years after the defendants were accused of subversion for organizing an unofficial primary to elect candidates for the 2020 Legislative Council election, which was later postponed due to the COVID pandemic. Prosecutors say the illegitimate primary was created to paralyze Hong Kong's government and topple the city's leader by winning a majority to veto budgets. The defendants could face life in prison under China's strict law. The trial of the group of activists, dubbed the Hong Kong 47, is the largest national security trial since Beijing imposed its sweeping legislation on Hong Kong following mass anti-government protests in 2019. It is also the first subversion trial. The Hong Kong 47 were arrested in January 2021 in a mass raid. Many of them remained in custody, with 15 being granted bail. Though exceedingly rare for defendants to not be granted bail under Hong Kong system, China's law stipulates that defendants cannot be awarded bail unless the court is convinced they won't commit acts that endanger national security. The trial, which is expected to continue for 90 days, is being held at the West Kowloon Magistrates Court, with people lining up amid heavy police presence. Critics believe the verdict will show if Hong Kong is in fact independent.
0: Thanks, Eric. We'll start this round with the anti-China narrative, and that comes from The Diplomat. This trial shows that Hong Kong is no different from other authoritarian regimes that imprison dissidents and undermine democracy. Beijing's national security law was implemented to suppress any protests against China's government, and Hong Kong adopted its own law that is closer to China's than to its self-proclaimed common law system.
1: And China Daily gives us a pro-China narrative. The Hong Kong activists plotted a deliberate act of subversion against the city's government. They sought to unlawfully win a majority in the Legislative Council in order to veto laws and paralyze the current government. This is a clear violation of the law and threat to national security, and a majority of participants have already pleaded guilty.
0: And today's report on day 348 of the Ukrainian conflict, as Kiev prepares for renewed Russian attacks. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Euronews, Sky News, The Guardian, The Telegraph, Reuters, and Ukrainska Pravda. According to Ukrainian President Zelensky's nightly address on Sunday, Kyiv is continuing to prepare for an imminent Russian bombardment as the anniversary of the Russian invasion draws nearer. Ukraine's Defense Minister Alexei Reznikov has said the nation has the reserves necessary to hold back Moscow's forces. Despite everything, he stated, we expect a possible Russian offensive in February. Reportedly, not all of the latest military supplies promised to Kyiv by Western countries will have arrived in time to aid defense against the alleged coming attack. Reznikov's words come as the minister faces pressure over corruption allegations with reports suggesting he will soon be moved into another government position. It recently emerged that Reznikov had paid two or three times the market price for food sent to frontline troops. Kirillo Budinov is now set to take up the role of defense minister. In other news, the German government announced on Monday that it expects it will soon have the necessary commitments from other EU countries to send the promised Leopard 2 tanks to Ukraine. Fourteen tanks have been pledged by Berlin, which wants to establish two battalions of the Leopards in cooperation with other countries. Elsewhere, Ukrainian repair crews were working nonstop in the Black Sea port of Odessa to restore power, after a fire left hundreds of thousands of residents without electricity. Repair work is going on round the clock, said Zelensky, continuing with the allegations that such damage to Ukraine's cities could not have happened before the start of Russian attacks on power generation sites. Meanwhile, advisor to Ukraine's head of the president's office, Mikhailo Podolyak, has claimed that the allegation Russian President Vladimir Putin promised not to kill President Zelensky is fictitious. Dmitry Kuleba, Ukraine's minister of foreign affairs, said of Putin, Do not be fooled. Every time he has promised not to do something, it has been exactly part of his plan.
1: Thank you, Melissa, for the update. As we take a look at the spins, the first one is an anti russian narrative coming from CNBC. Russia's deliberate targeting of energy infrastructure, unnecessarily increasing the suffering of civilians, amounts to war crimes. This continuing Russian barbarity must be confronted.
0: And here's the pro-Russia narrative from TASS. Attacks on Ukraine's energy infrastructure are a direct consequence of the failure of the country's leadership to meaningfully engage in peace talks and the thought that they can defeat Russia on the battlefield. These attacks will stop once a more sober position is reached.
1: And we have a nerd narrative that says there's a 90% chance that 50,000 Russian soldiers will be killed in the Russo-Ukrainian conflict before 2024. That's according to the Metaculous Prediction community.
0: We're creeping up real fast on 365 days of this conflict.
1: It's hard to believe it's almost been a year. In our next story, former Pakistan President Musharraf dies at 79. Here are the facts as agreed upon by USA Today, PBS NewsHour, Guardian, and NPR Online News. Pervez Musharraf, the former president of Pakistan, died on Sunday in Dubai, according to the Pakistan military. Although no cause of death was announced, Musharraf had been undergoing treatment for amyloidosis, a rare disease. Musharraf was a former special forces commando who ascended to the presidency in 1999 after the last of a string of military coups. He stepped down in 2008 in the face of a potential impeachment. In 2019, he was convicted of treason for actions he took as president, including suspending the Constitution in 2007. His initial death sentence was later overturned by the court. He lived from 2016 until his death in exile in the UK and the Middle East. Musharraf earned notoriety for agreeing to join the U.S. War on Terror in the aftermath of the 9-11 attacks and at the urging of then-U.S. Secretary of State Colin Powell and, according to Musharraf's autobiography, a violent threat against Pakistan from another U.S. official. It was widely believed that while Musharraf made sure Pakistan was a solid U.S. ally, Sharing intelligence and assisting in capturing al-Qaeda leaders, he also provided the Taliban sanctuary in his country. Musharraf faced other scandals, including suspicions he, or at least his intelligence apparatus, may have been involved in the 2007 assassination of former Prime Minister Benazir Bhutto. In 2008, he resigned as president after he fired judges and imposed an emergency rule, which led to treason charges.
0: Thanks, Eric, for the facts. We'll start another round of spins with Narrative A. This is written by The Economist. Musharraf may have had his faults, but he stabilized Pakistan's economy, raised its growth rate, liberalized the media, and passed legislation to protect women. His decision to align with the U.S. brought in billions in aid from abroad, and no leader in Pakistan has ever come as close as he did to making peace with India. Subsequently, instability should make Pakistan's people Yearn for his days in
1: office. And narrative B is coming from the wire. Musharraf was an autocrat who oversaw a reign of death, destruction, and usurpation of Pakistan's constitution. He played both sides when it came to the U.S. and the Taliban. These serious actions should be remembered in the context of his legacy, not the liberal reforms he barely established.
0: In our next story, Dell will slash over 6,000 jobs. Here are the facts as agreed upon by The Verge, CNBC, BBC News, Reuters, and The Wall Street Journal. Dell Technologies Incorporated has announced its intention to cut roughly 6,650 employees, about 5% of its overall workforce, amid slumping demand for PCs. The news comes amid a wave of mass layoffs in the tech sector, with companies such as Amazon and Alphabet having announced job cuts in recent weeks. The news was made public in a memo released on Monday which saw Dell's co-chief operating officer, Jeff Clark, state that attempts to cut costs by pausing hiring and limiting travel, among other measures, had been insufficient. Clark also said that market conditions were continuing to erode, creating an uncertain future. According to industry analysts from IDC, shipments of PCs decreased 28% globally year-on-year in Q4 of 2022 while Dell's computer shipments declined 37% in the same period. As of early Monday, shares of Dell were down 3%. A spokesperson on Monday told media that this kind of reorganization was a regular course of business, and the announcement echoed similar layoffs three years ago after the pandemic struck. IDC has predicted the market for PCs and tablets is set to drop by another 2.6% in 2023, following rapid growth from the rise of remote working during lockdown primary rival to Dell, HP Incorporated, has also announced plans to cut up to 6,000 jobs. Dell is the largest U.S. employer so far to reveal plans to reduce staff numbers, as many act in response to widespread inflation and rising interest rates.
1: Melissa, thank you for the facts of that story. Three different spins have been extracted. We begin with a pro-establishment narrative coming from Forbes. This movement towards mass redundancy in tech firms is not indicative of any significant market changes. The layoffs are sparking media attention on an inordinate scale, but the tech sector only accounts for roughly 3% of jobs. In addition, in addition, tech workers are relatively well-educated, and evidence shows they rapidly find new work in comparison to the rest of the labor market.
0: And to counter that, we've got an establishment critical narrative from the Washington Post these layoffs spark cause for concern. The bounce in stock prices following most tech redundancies may make this move more popular among executives, even though not enough emphasis has been put on the potential impact on consumer spending of layoffs. Tech workers are mostly high-paid, and the U.S. economy is heavily dependent on the spending of the top fifth of earners. This ongoing strategy in the sector could easily cause the elite to slow spending.
1: And the nerds from the Metaculous Prediction community have chimed in with their narrative as well. They say that there's a 50% chance that the annual U.S. unemployment rate will be at least 6.09% in 2027. Are there other tech companies besides Apple? We see where your loyalties lie, Eric. (laughs) And
0: all my stuff's Apple, too.
1: (laughs) Okay. In a special report, Moscow and Tehran advance plans for a drone facility. And here are the facts as agreed upon by Wall Street Journal, Iran International, The Times of Israel, Fox News, and CNN. The Wall Street Journal reported on Sunday that Moscow and Tehran are cooperating on plans to construct a factory in Russia to make at least 6,000 Iranian-designed drones to be used in the Ukraine war. According to officials reportedly from a country aligned with the U.S., a high-level Iranian delegation flew to Russia in early January, to visit the planned site for the factory and decide on details to start the project this drone factory is allegedly part of a 1 billion dollar deal between both countries which the white house claims to be developing a quote full-fledged defense partnership that includes also fighter jet training the washington post had reported in november that such plans were in the works stating that iran and russia had finalized a deal that month after russian officials visited tehran on friday the U.S. Department of the Treasury announced due sanctions on eight senior officials of an Iranian drone manufacturer for their role in Tehran's supply of drones to Russia. Though Tehran acknowledged in November that it had provided drones to the Kremlin, its foreign minister, Hossein Amir Abdullahian, stressed that shipments of a limited number of weapons were made before the Ukraine war.
0: Those are the facts on that story. We have a couple of narratives that have emerged. The pro-establishment narrative is written by the Jewish News Syndicate. Iran is no longer seen by the West as a problem to be solved, but instead as an outright enemy that is helping to prolong the conflict in Ukraine. Tehran is on a direct collision course with the U.S. and the West and has made a fatal mistake in choosing to side with Russia and Putin.
1: And the establishment critical narrative coming from Press TV. Western propaganda is spreading lies to try to justify the prolongation of the conflict in Ukraine. Despite having long-established defense cooperation with Moscow, Tehran is not taking part in any joint project to produce drones in Russia.
0: And the nerds are at it again. The folks at Metaculus say there's a 14% chance that Russia will test nuclear weapons in 2023. Adani loses $110 billion and sparks protests across India. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Reuters, One America, CNBC, and ARY News. As Indian conglomerate Adani Group's market losses top $110 billion, dozens of India's opposition party members on Monday were detained during protests, prompting Parliament to be suspended again due to disruptions surrounding the company. The losses, which are up from $65 billion a week ago, follow a report by U.S. short-seller Hindenburg Research last week, which flagged concerns about Adani's firm's alleged mounting debts, stock manipulation, improper use of tax havens, and money laundering. Members of the main opposition Congress party gathered outside the Jantar Mantar Observatory in New Delhi to protest Adani's billionaire founder, Guatam Adani, They held banners, shouted slogans, and even breached barricades, causing police to detain them. Protests mounted across the country, including outside the offices of the state-owned Life Insurance Corporation and State Bank of India, both of which have ties to Adani Group companies. As Adani and Prime Minister Modi are from the same state, allegations have been made that the Prime Minister has benefited from favoritism. Adani's subsidiary stocks continued to fall on Monday, with Adani Enterprises falling by 4%, Adani Transmission by 10%, and Adani Green Energy, Adani Power, and Adani Total Gas all dropping by 5%. The Security and Exchange Board of India and Goldman Sachs suggested that the overall Indian market is still stable.
1: Those were the facts, and here are the spins. The first one is a pro-establishment narrative coming from Indian Express. Despite these market trends, the Indian market remains stable and reliable. Gautam Adani has said he will refund investor losses, and the government's independent regulators are already evaluating the situation. If India's economy was in trouble, it wouldn't be projected to grow 7% in the next year, the largest projection among all major economies.
0: Here's an establishment critical narrative from NDTV. Prime Minister Modi has been quiet on this issue because he knows he's complicit. His own regulators should not be investigating this matter. But as the members of parliament have called for, a truly independent probe by the Supreme Court should be conducted. India's stock market isn't falling due to some malicious attack by Hindenburg, but because Adani's corporate government corruption has finally been exposed. I think I have a new uh, travel goal, and that's to see the Jontar Montar Observatory.
1: That's on the bucket list now, huh?
0: It just sounds fun. I may not be.
1: (laughs) Tell you what, if you do it, I want a full report.
0: You got it. I like volcanoes. So if there's volcanoes to see, that would be an added bonus.
1: Yeah, take some selfies. Will do. Watch out for those big weather balloons. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Kamala Harris unveils $4.2 billion in Central America Investments. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Spectrum News, Reuters, the White House, and CNN. On Monday, U.S. Vice President Kamala Harris unveiled $950 million in new private sector commitments in the Central American countries of El Salvador, Guatemala, and Honduras, building on her plan to reduce mass migration to the U.S. by creating economic opportunities in the home countries of many migrants. In March 2021, President Biden tasked Harris with leading efforts to curb migration, which surged dramatically after he took office. Harris then focused her attention on El Salvador, Guatemala, and Honduras, known as the Northern Triangle. Harris spoke on Monday at the Central America Forward launch event, in which she highlighted her plan. She also pledged to promote good governance, reduce violence, and empower women to address the root causes of migration. Harris announced that the total value of private sector commitments in the region is over $4.2 billion, up from $3.2 billion announced in June of 2022. A total of 47 companies and organizations contributed to the amount. Retailers Target and Columbia Sportswear are two notable companies investing in the region, with Target committing to increase its spending in the Northern Triangle by $300 million this year while Colombia says it will purchase $200 million in products from the region. Harris believes creating economic opportunities will incentivize residents of the region to stay in their own respective countries instead of migrating to the U.S. It is still unclear how much Harris's efforts to date have reduced migration, as it remains at historic highs.
0: Thank you, Eric. Well, as you may have guessed, we have two political spins on this topic. The democratic narrative comes from the White House. The Vice President's Central America Forward Plan has been a great success and is humanely addressing the root cause of migration. The Biden White House is committed to a comprehensive strategy that will create sustainable and ethical solutions to mass migration. In just two years, the administration has made great strides.
1: And the Republican narrative comes from Fox News. Harris has resorted to political stunts to hide from the fact that she and Biden have utterly failed to address the U.S. border crisis the U.S. government cannot control what happens in other nations and should focus on efforts at home to secure America's border and keep its people safe. Long-term plans sound nice, but they do nothing to stop tens of thousands of migrants from flooding into America every day.
0: In our final story today, the Charles Koch Network will oppose Trump in 2024. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Mother Jones, Forbes, Wall Street Journal, and The Washington Post. Americans for Prosperity, a conservative group that spends billions on campaigns and is backed by billionaire Charles Koch, said Sunday it will support a candidate other than former President Donald Trump in the 2024 presidential primaries. Though many AFP donors were fans of Trump in 2016, Koch and his brothers were not. They stayed out of those primaries. The PAC reportedly donates $80 million during the 2022 midterms, with CEO Emily Seidel saying the former Trump-supporting donors have soured on the ex-president since 2020. In a three-page memo, Seidel said the GOP is nominating bad candidates who are advocating for things that go against core American principles. She added that the best thing for the U.S. is to have a president in 2025 who represents a new chapter. AFP didn't say how much it will spend on the 2024 election, though it says it has a large grassroots and data operation, with some of its strongest and most effective state chapters ready to play a crucial role in picking the next GOP candidate. This news comes after many of the major donors to AFP have shifted their support to other endeavors, and former key AFP strategists have moved on to other jobs. They've also been the target of Trump himself, who in 2018 called them a total joke in real Republican circles. Trump is so far the only candidate to officially announce his presidential bid, though potential opponents include former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley, who is expected to announce on February 15th, as well as Florida Governor Ron DeSantis and former Vice President Mike Pence.
1: Thank you for the facts, Melissa. As we look at the two spins that have emerged, The first one is a Republican narrative coming from Red State. Plenty of Republican candidates and groups have their knives out for Trump. If they're right, and an alternative candidate is necessary to retake the White House, they better coalesce around one Trump challenger rather than making the mistakes they made in 2016.
0: And here's the pro-Trump narrative from Town Hall. Trump doesn't win all the time, but that doesn't take away his overall winning track record or his potential for victory in 2024. Just like 2016, liberals and never-Trumpers are hand-wringing over Trump's candidacy, spelling doom for Republicans. But rank-and-file Republicans still love him. And if he gets enough of their votes, he should be allowed to ride his way to the nomination and possibly the White House. Thanks for listening
1: to the Improve the News podcast for Tuesday, February 7th, 2023.
0: Each day, we use machine learning to read about 5,000 articles from about 100 newspapers and figure out which ones are about the same stories. For each major story, our editorial team then extracts both the key facts that all articles agree on and the key narratives where the articles
1: differ. For more information on Improve the News, please visit our website, improvethenews.org. You can also download the Improve the News app on the Apple App Store or Google play. For Melissa Topshire, I'm Eric Steiner, inviting you to join us next time on Improve the News.